everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. Welcome, everybody, to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. I'm Kimberly Davis, also known as the Fiscal Feminist, and I am super excited about today's podcast. So today, it's going to be a podcast that is the intersection of personal development, wellness, and business. That's pretty much every aspect of our lives. So this is a keeper. You really need to listen to this podcast And the reason you do is because I am interviewing the Renaissance woman, otherwise known as Ella Lucas Averett. And she is quite an accomplished woman. She is not only the managing partner of her own company, I believe, called the Trevista Group. It's a strategic consulting firm. I met her through the organization called Chief, of which she was the co-founder, which kind of blows my mind because Chief is a massive organization for C-suite women that is national. I've met so many wonderful women through that. So the fact that she founded that just is, I don't know, it's kind of unbelievable on so many levels. And more importantly, she has her own podcast that is extremely successful, that really has many, many topics that it addresses in the wellness area. And it is called On Air with Ella. And you can listen to it on any podcast platform. You can also follow her on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, all at On Air with Ella. And now I'm going to introduce Ella. Ella, thank you so much for joining me today. You are a Renaissance woman. Hey, Kimberly, thank you so much. First of all, it is an honor. So thank you. And also thank you to your listeners, because I know that they mean the world to you. So sharing me with them is my privilege. But I have to issue a correction because I'm dying laughing over here. Um, (laughs) I was invited to be a founding member of the Washington, D.C. branch of Chief. But I have to say, I was not one of the two women, the genius founders who conceived of the idea and gave birth to it in New York. But I'm very happy to be a founding member in D.C. where I live. Okay, but you executed. You helped to execute. We're here. We're here. Because it is a really, really powerful organization. Yes, it and is. I'm just so amazed that somehow I became a member, just kind of crossed my path. And the number of women that have supported me throughout this organization, including Yeah, it's been you, outstanding. I met you through that organization. It's been outstanding. So your participation, you may not have been two of the founding members, but you are right up there on the, <laughs> I appreciate you know, it. the list of the top four, in my <laughs> opinion. So much. You've had a really multifaceted experience, and I, I love that because it's just so rich. So if you could just tell us what you'd like us to know about yourself. Yeah, I'm happy to. By way of introduction, I'm chaotic. So I I started a (laughs) consulting firm, as you said. It's called the Trivista Group, and I founded that with my partner in 2003. So that's been a very, very long time, and it has evolved in so many ways. But specializing largely in strategic planning and corporate communications and even executive branding, um, if you will. And so, so really, really love that work. But my passion and the thing that I enjoy doing so very much is on air with Ella. And I just started interviewing people, Kimberly. 
I want to say seven years ago in the health and the wellness space. Now, I'm no health and wellness guru. I'm just fascinated by lots of related topics. And to be really honest with you, it started as, you know, very much health and fitness driven. And then after a certain point, I just got tired of talking about kale and squats, right? So <laughs> I would say that over its seven-year evolution, um, I like to say my, my superpower is trial and error. Um, and I have shared a lot, uh, I guess, a greater, a more robust definition of what I think wellness is now, because I used to really associate it with like health and fitnessy things. And now to me, wellness is 360 degrees for me. And I'm willing to talk about any topics that are relevant to women, generally like over 35, 40, who have, you know, have some years of experience under their belt, many, many, many more seasons to go. But we have a little bit more free space than we did when we had littles to talk about the things yes. that matter to us and what we want more of and what we want less of. So no topic is off limits, I should say, really. And so I've just really enjoyed that evolution um, along with my community. So yeah, those are kind of the two things that I that I enjoy doing. And then I like doing triathlon, but that's on the side. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to talk about that today as well, because I think that factors in in so many ways. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question first. Before you started your own company, what were you doing? Oh, goodness. So I, my, I had a number of jobs before I went to business school because when I graduated, I was quite young when I graduated from college. And, you know, at that time I was will work for food. That was the niche I was serving. <laughs> yeah. so, uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I bounced around in early 20s jobs and then landed in, of all things, Broadcast media advertising sales. So I was selling air, essentially. And what it did for me, though, Kimberly, is it exposed me quite rapidly to many different types of businesses. And it made me realize that I actually really liked the business of business. And then I went to business school. So that and I was still I was in my 20s when I went to business school and got my MBA. And my one of my business school professors upon graduation, asked me to come join him in an endeavor in Europe. And so I started, before I started the TriVista Group, I was working with uh, clients. They were clients of a major bank in the UK, and we were running workshops for them um, all over okay. all over Europe. So that was honestly, that was, that was the best education that money can't buy. So I did that for two yeah, years. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And when you started your company, because I'm always interested in people who break out on their own and take the risk because it's scary. And sometimes you have to figure out a way how you're going to pay for it. You have to figure out how am I going to get clients? You were obviously pretty young when you did it. So just, I, you know, because I think it leads into where you're at now, because I've got to believe that some of those experiences are what you um, build upon now. So how did you break in? Because so many people listening, especially younger people who are thinking about becoming entrepreneurial, it seems like a big mountain to climb. Absolutely. And so if I were being completely honest, I would say ignorance and necessity. And I'll tell you what I mean, because I am so grateful for the fact that I had no idea what I was getting myself into. (laughs) So grateful for that. And also necessity. And I'll tell you why. I had a dream job. I was going to Europe. I was 
working from home before people worked from home, because Kimberly, please bear in mind that I said the company was 19, 20 years old. It was founded in 2003. That means that before 2003, I was doing this, this fun European endeavor, right? And super educational. Okay. Smartphones didn't exist, Kimberly. Social media did not exist. The yeah. words had not been coined. Okay, this was a hundred years ago. And yeah. I say that to you because I wasn't looking, I wasn't inspired by women I saw on the interwebs. That didn't, like, nope. <laughs> right, that was yeah. not a thing, right? So I want to be really clear because I actually believe that it was a gift to me that I actually was rather ignorant about what I was getting into, like I said, and, and, and I'll tell you what I mean. So the, the necessity bit was this wonderful opportunity that was based in the UK and servicing these workshops all over Europe. Absolutely amazing. Totally fantastic. And like I said, I'm in Europe for two weeks a month and then I'm at home for two weeks a month. Just love, love, love. The guy that started that company took all of the money out of the bank and ran off to New Zealand. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I am the primary breadwinner for me. I am working overseas. I am counting on this. And he would pay us quarterly, which is adorable. Uh, but yeah. I was yeah. so stupid <laughs> and young. I, I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> I was wow. like, sure, I'll, I'll go to Madrid for two weeks. Pay me when you feel like it, essentially, was my <laughs> MO at the time. And so this gentleman left a fully staffed office in the middle of Mayfair, left a Jaguar parked on the street with the keys in it, also leased. Oh and he gosh. took all of the money out of the accounts and we never saw the man again. So guess what? I was in business for myself very, very quickly. That and is that, extraordinary. You know, it's so funny. I never talk about that. And this is the second time I've mentioned it in recent history. So it took a long time. Well, first of all, I actually think there's, there's several things of value to say there. So let me share a couple of things I learned from that. One is like, I did not have time to get in my head about anything because I needed to pay my mortgage. So there was no getting in my head. There was no wallowing in fear. There was get out and do. And that's what I mean by, yes, it was driven by necessity, but it was also driven by an ignorance or a bliss that did not allow me the luxury of second guessing myself. And man, I wish I could, you know, bottle that. So did you just take over what he was doing? And did you ever speak to this guy again? Like, how do you know where he is? No, we pursued, we tried to pursue him legally. And because there were many of us. Yeah, um, people but we who were needed from to different get paid. Countries. Yep. <laughs> and so ironically, there were only three employees at the time that lived in North America. And the three of us founded TriVista back in America. Okay. So, you know, that there's a lot of great karma in this story yeah. for you, that you founded this company <laughs> that is successful. And it's interesting that you've learned to trust again after that because that is an extraordinary experience. Wow. And went into business immediately with two people. I mean, who, who I did, who I knew, but I didn't know that well. Um, right. You know, so, so yeah. And at the, at the same time, I've done that many, many times in my life. And I am not, I am not a thrill seeker, but I am willing to take risks. So the difference to me comes down to some line of responsibility. Like, yes, I jumped out of a plane once, but I won't do it again. You know, I'm not looking to bungee jump every Friday afternoon. Right. Like I'm right. not <laughs> out there seeking that high. Okay. Adventure, the, right. <laughs> yes. But I'm definitely available to new experiences. And I definitely get very bored, settled very, very quickly. So when I work inside of a company with my clients, 
I have to take on more or different responsibility every six months, 12 months, 18 months, or they don't get the best of me. So that's partly, I I would have to confess, part of it is is in fact my nature. But you know, (laughs) there are so many things that I wish I had started or, or wish I were further on and didn't do because I was scared. And I think that anyone listening can relate to that thing they're sitting on or stalled on. Maybe they did it or, or maybe they're still sitting on it because they're not sure it's ready. They're not sure they're ready. They're not sure it's good enough. They're not sure they want to be seen or like, what will people say? And I would just say, what if you acted as if you had no choice and you just did it and see what happens? Um, because sometimes action can be a hell of a lot more effective than analysis. Yeah. Well, I think, what is it? Uh, analysis paralysis. I mean, people can overanalyze things and try to think of, you know, every possible, uh, you know, outcome before they actually take action. And I'm I'm of the belief, you know, certainly if you're going to start a business, doesn't hurt to do a business plan, kind of know the lay of the land. You don't want to be foolish, but you also have to take some risks and you have to be able to be brave and courageous. And 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 what's the worst that can happen? It just doesn't work out and you pivot again. And if you need to, you go, go back into the workforce and get a paycheck if you need to do that, you know. But you owe yourself the opportunity to at least try to explore these new ideas if you've got some basis for thinking it could be something. And at a young age, like you did it, you are right. Sometimes when you don't know all the possible things that can go wrong, it eliminates some of that, you know, paralysis that people have from just fear, abject fear or lethargy. I don't know. People are, you know, I think one of the things that you, you know, you say is that um, because you have a, a number of different things that you talk about. But people can get really stuck and they get mm-hmm. really stuck in their lives and and they can't seem to move on. And I hear this a lot from people because they are afraid of losing whatever they have. And so if they make any kind of drastic move, they could possibly in their mind lose something. Yes. <laughs> you see, those of you who can see me, I'm like doing amen hands because <laughs> I am so passionate about this topic. Kimberly everyone gets stuck somewhere. Some people get stuck in their health and fitness journey or they don't feel like they're in the body that feels best to them. Or some people get stuck relationally or they're stuck in a marriage that maybe is on life support and hasn't been exciting or fun or passionate in a very long time. Or maybe they're stuck at work in a job that isn't lighting them up every day. Like you show me someone who isn't stuck somewhere in their life and I'll have what they're having. Yeah, <laughs> like, me too. I, I, whatever it is, can I have it too? Thank you. That is part of the human condition, but it's one of my favorite things to talk about. And I have a keynote around this topic that I just lo- like, I could give it in my sleep. I love it, love it so much because I'm super passionate about this. And, and, and it's one myth I love to bust apart. And this is a mistake I made for so long. And frankly, Kimberly, I continue to make it in different arenas. And here's what I mean. Just tell me, hypothetically speaking, have you ever looked at like, I don't know, Instagram or some kind of social media or somebody that's being interviewed and just thought, okay, she must have gotten something I do not have. Or she like, I want what she has or why is it so easy for her and it feels laborious to me or how come the neighbors can do that and we're in the same neighborhood, but I feel like they're better resourced than I am. I mean, you know. I mean, don't, but don't you think like in, in, in this day and age, almost every, I don't know anyone who 
unless you don't look at social media, which, you know, may not be a bad thing, but if you do, and I do because I have a social media platform, mm-hmm. as do you. And, you know, I I look at people who, because I'm, you know, I'm trying to establish this platform. I'm trying to get everyone to listen to my message, buy my book, all this stuff. And some days I think, wow, this is so much work. And then I see somebody else who has like a million followers and I'm like, wow, you know, it looks so easy. How did she do it? Like, well, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, trying to add followers and get people to listen to my podcast. And it just seems like, wh- you know, where is the tipping point? What's the secret sauce? What does that person have that I don't have? And yes. that is what you see on social media because you see people with, you know, uh, beautiful homes or people who are, you know, got a lot of followers in the thought leadership and what I'm trying to do, whatever it is. And so you can look at them and be aspirational, but it can also kind of be a little bit of a downer that makes you wonder, like, am I even going to ever get to that? So how do you, how do we not get into that vortex of negativity? <sighs> Do you know how many people are nodding right now? I mean, comparison has never been so prolifically at our fingertips ever. In the history of man, comparison has never been this easy or prolific. I mean, you Um, can't get away from it. Yeah. Correct. And have you ever seen something where you're comparing yourself and maybe you fell short in that comparison and just said, God, if I could just get motivated to do blah, 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 blah. Like, have you ever, like, they're clearly, they wake up ready to slay the day every day. If I could just get motivated to do that, 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 or more disciplined to do that, 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 then I'd be, okay. So that's the myth. And, and I, I have had that experience countless, countless times. And then, you know, when, when, when you said I'm a competitive triathlete, someone out there was like, oh, here we go. So she has something I don't. <laughs> right. And, and this is the thing. And I wish somebody had told me this 20 years ago. There's no special thing. There's no special sauce. Unless you are the 0.02% and you have been to the Olympics in whatever your thing is metaphorically speaking, okay, and you are naturally exceptional. The rest of us, the 98.98 of us, excuse me, 99.98 of us, we're out here doing the very best that we can. So what is the difference? The difference to me and the myth that I like to bust that I mentioned earlier is that we are waiting for motivation or we remember one time when we were motivated. Like you've had, how many children have you had, Kimberly? Three. When you realize that you were pregnant with any one of those? Was there something, that, some habit you dropped immediately? Did you stop drinking? Did you stop yeah, smoking? I stopped, <laughs> I, I stopped drinking and in the I stopped having the occasional cigarette, which I have okay, to say, so, I, I enjoyed that occasional cigarette. <laughs> wait, but wait, my children wait, were worth it That's another show, Kimberly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's back then show. it was okay, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, I stopped, I stopped. I was really super healthy. I mean, I yeah. stopped everything. That is lightning bolt motivation. Somebody listening has had a diagnosis or has a family member that received a diagnosis and it was lightning bolt motivation. You know why? Because it does exist. It's not a unicorn, but guess what? If we are waiting for lightning bolt motivation to do the thing we're meant to do in life or to develop that skill or to learn that language or to start that exercise routine or revisit our relationship with our spouse or our partner, like whatever. If we're waiting for that lightning bolt, you're going to die waiting. And I say that not to be cynical, but to say, if that were the secret, don't you think that we would have like hacked that by now? Don't you think we would be doing all the things um, and all out here just living our best life? And I don't know about you. That's not what happens for me. And the myth that you need to land on motivation or even better, 
that it would land on you, that is not going to get you where you need to be. So the word that I replace it with every day of my life <laughs> is momentum. And what I yeah, mean by that is a good word. I think of a slump that you've been in recently in any area of your life, right? Because we're more than one dimension. Pick a dimension of your life where you've been in a slump. Okay. The I have never thought my way out of a slump, not once. And the only thing that has ever pulled me out of stuckness is to take the tiniest action available to me. For some people that day, it's going to be putting on their trainers and going for a walk, their tennis shoes and going yeah. for a walk. Yeah. I could tell you lived in London. Because I lived in my, London my, too. Trainers. Yeah. My my husband's English and sometimes I get I get my husband's I get English all mixed too. Up. Is he real? Oh, that's right. That's I right. Think I actually right? Knew yeah. That. There you go. <laughs> and I get befuddled sometimes. <laughs> no, well, I, um, you know, I'm. I love this concept of momentum and the tiniest actions. And you know, I was thinking about, like, for me, it's in fitness, right? Sure. It, you know, I I was a runner for a long time, and then, um, I, you know, I kind of let it go. I went through all kinds of terrible stuff, and it really took a back burner. And I put on weight, you know, postmenopausal lady. So these yep. things happen and it's really hard. But I got really fed up like a year and a half ago. And I made a decision that self-care was going to be my number one priority. And I literally started with the smallest thing. You know, I went to the doctor and I started, I like walked a mile, right? But I, every day I just say to myself, and now I can run and I can do a bunch of stuff I couldn't do a year and a half ago. And I would love to do kind of a modified triathlon, but modified. Um, but the point is, to your point, the momentum came when I started to see little bits of improvement. Yes. So elaborate on your momentum thoughts. Nothing is more motivating than witnessing your own progress. So if you're looking for motivation, create some momentum because nothing, I really want people to hear this. Nothing is more motivating than witnessing your own ability to do the thing and to prove to yourself in tiny increments that you're the person that does the thing. So for you, you went from running. You, there are two ways to look at this. The traditional way is to be like, I used to be a runner and here I am proud of myself because I'm walking and now I'm running a mile and oh my God, and comparing yourself constantly to the gap between where right. you are now and where you were. Right. And I say, you can do that. And if you believe that self-flagellation is an effective strategy, like, again, I think we'd know by now. Because <laughs> well, I tried and, it. And, and also, like, we're perfection. Like, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a, a speedster or run, you know, a, a, you know, a mile in six minutes. You can jog. You, can, you just be kind to yourself and know that anything is better than nothing. Well, and I, I got to be honest with you. I think it is deeper than we can even do justice to. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll explain that. The act of keeping your word to yourself makes you a different person when you do it over and over and over again. Because I we so often, when we sleep on our dreams or we sleep on our goals, we become a person who should be doing a thing. We become a person who isn't doing a thing. We become a person who doesn't keep our word to ourselves. We say things like, oh, I really need to start walking after dinner, but we don't do the thing. So what are we? We're the person who, our identity is literally now a person who isn't doing the thing she's supposed to be doing. And so it's so much more than going for a walk. It is the act 
of keeping your word to yourself. And it is also the act of creating momentum. And it's not sexy because people want to be out there and they want to be like, decide what you want and burn the boats. And Tony Robbins is a very, very smart, intelligent man. But one of the dumbest things he's ever sold us is that we need to like identify the thing and then burn the boats. No, no, that's sexy. And it gets you pumped up and it gets you temporarily motivated. But it's not helping you out on a foggy Tuesday when you're tired and you have a choice between Netflix and walking your dog. Yeah. And I think it could lead to like a very quick burnout, right? So you're burning the boats and you're probably getting burnt out, but it's a a marathon. So life is a marathon, right? And you need to pace yourself and you need to have the reason, the why every day to do what you need to do. And I have made this business of getting up and whether it's going for a three and a half mile hike with my dog or getting on my treadmill and doing an iFit training, you know, which I, I want to say shout out to iFit. I've done trainings now all over the world from Antarctica to Italy on that app on my treadmill. And I love it. Um, So if you're thinking about getting started, (laughs) you know, commercial uh, Nordic track commercial, do the iFit app. But I just think, you know, so do you attribute this to lack of confidence, laziness, ennui? What is it that makes people not take action? Fear. Uh, Fear. So laziness, I mean, I don't really know what lazy looks like. I understand that those people exist, but I actually think it's a very rare condition that you just have absolutely, let me say this, almost everything we do to thwart our own progress, in my non-expert opinion, is fear wearing a different outfit. And that can be everything from procrastination to that analysis of paralysis that we talked about to consuming, 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 and never creating. So there's somebody mm-hmm. out there right now that wants to start a business or a blog or a podcast. And so they're, they've read everything, they've listened to everything, they've bought everything, and they have consumed and consumed, and cons- but they haven't pulled the trigger on creating. So when the consumption to creating ratio is extremely out of balance, that means you're afraid of something. It means you haven't started. It means you're stuck. So The other outfits that your fear might show up in include, I already said procrastination. How about perfectionism? Right. (gasps) But that sounds so noble. It sounds so noble to want something to be perfect before. No, that is fear. Fear that you're going to show up. Fear that you're going to get kicked out of the tribe. Fear that you're going to fail. Fear that you're going to flounder. It's all of those things. But we dress it up in all of these different outfits. So, yeah, I'm no psychologist, but I think that we dress our fear up in lots of different outfits. Some of them are very noble. Right. And I think, you know, and I've written about this in my book, and I think you and I discussed it on your podcast, but women are particularly prone to this. We uh, have this competence versus confidence thing, and we somehow throughout our lives are taught we have to be 100% perfect, and we take that on board. We need to be, you know, we can't put ourselves up for things or do things unless we feel we can, you know, we've gotten every aspect of it figured out. And that's not helpful, nor is it going to give you a robust life experience. So what, you know, what could you say to somebody that's like tangible things they can do to break out of their fear so that they actually take the first step and get the ball rolling and keep the ball rolling? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the deep, dark secrets about being an adult is that um, nobody actually knows what they're doing and everyone's just doing the best that they can at any given moment. So when I was younger, I would have started my podcast 
five years earlier. I'm not sure it existed anything more than that. So I'm not sure. You know, it's no, been around for seven years. Started, so I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how far back mm-hmm. I can go. But I would have pulled the trigger on it sooner if I wasn't afraid of showing up, if I wasn't afraid of being seen, if I wasn't afraid of being vulnerable. And I would have jumped into media much, much faster if I hadn't been held back by my own concerns about failing and flailing in that environment. And also, when I dove into business, I looked at people who were running businesses, who were leading businesses. And again, you will always have the exceptional exceptions, okay? You will always have that 0.02%, okay? They exist. However, most of us out here are doing the best that we can. And that is the secret that nobody tells you, but so many people figure it out. They're like, oh my gosh, I thought they were so much smarter than I am. I thought they were so much more gifted that, I- nope. <laughs> they're just doing it and they're learning as they go. And yeah, it's nice to, you know, to have some acumen. It's nice to have a growth mindset and to learn things so that you can constantly keep like up-leveling yourself. Of course, of course, right. of course. And at the same time, To me, the difference between the people who succeed and the people who don't is a willingness to just show the hell up and to understand that nobody, nobody feels, I shouldn't speak for the free world. I'll say, I think very few people show up every day and they're like, I've got this nail. Nothing can keep me down. I know how to do everything. And And we are deluded to think that there are people out there who have that and have kitted out, you know, their zone of genius. And now all they have to do is show up. Everyone's out here doing the best that they can with what they have. And the best people are the ones that show up and keep being open to evolving. Yeah. And I think, I think this is such great advice that you're giving people and that you're, you know, like that you're kind of putting out there into the universe because Showing up is 100% of it. If you don't show up, you can't make anything happen. If you don't show up, you're not going to be able to experience new things. You know, it's what is it? Consistency and commitment. That's it. You know, have the consistency. I honestly believe that 99% of success in life is just about consistency. It's just doing it. And, and, and even if on the days that I don't want to go out and work out, I'll do something else. I'll go to yoga. I won't run. I'll do something that might be a little bit more gentle to my body, but I make a commitment to do something, even if it's only for 15 minutes, doesn't have to be an hour and a half, just so it keeps me in the game of doing something in that realm. Kimberly, by this point, everyone and their mother has heard of uh, James Clear's Atomic Habits. And, and he really, he, he's not the p- person to invent this concept, but he explains it really well. And that is the art and science of compounding interest, <laughs> something near mm-hmm. and dear to your heart, in every area of our life where we're trying to get better at something. So every time you put those shoes on and you go for a walk, even if it's just 20 minutes, you can compare that to zero And you are putting money in the bank and it has compounding interest because you just did, you moved your body. So you got all those benefits, right? You chilled out your hormones as well. So you got that benefit. Then you also proved to yourself that you were the person who does what she says she's going to do. The other thing that you did was you gave your body one more day of movement. So if you have five bad days, that's a hundred minutes of walking that you wouldn't have done. Your very minimum still And I can pat myself on the back and say, I've done it. And I think, you know, one of the things that I love about your story, too, that I want to talk a little bit about is when I talk about money and how people 
47% of women dread talking about money. That's a statistic from like 2018 from a study that I read. And and that's unfortunate, right? Because money is so important to our well-being and to thriving and we need to build our net worth as women. But, you know, I like this idea of a financial athlete, right? It's just, you only have to do, start, you know, dip your toe in it by like kind of knowing how much money you have coming in and how much money you've got going out. If that's all you have can start with and get your head around for the first time, that's that's good. That's a start. You're starting to think about it. But it's just like working out. If you once you start to engage with your finances, you actually start to feel good about it because you see improvement once you know what you're talking about and you realize, well, actually, it may look bad, but if I did this, that, and this, and I take it in baby steps, I can eliminate all this stress and fear from that. But you have to start somewhere, whatever, even if it's just knowing one component, right? So I love the combination of the idea of a triathlete with a financial athlete. And as I've always been someone who, in my fantasy world, would do a triathlon, I, I like to swim. I've done the, I have a Peloton. I also have a bike and I like to run. So you'd think Kimberly, I could maybe we're making combine, this happen. <laughs> I could make that, I could maybe combine that and make that happen somehow. But I, I think that there's a lot to be learned from that world in competing in the business world. And I also, you know, know that you have, you know, so you are a businesswoman, you have a consulting firm, you've evolved into this wellness space, which I'm assuming you gleaned from your work as a consultant, and you can elaborate on this too, and thought, wow, maybe a lot of people aren't really thinking about their wellness. I don't know what, you know, first of all, my first question is, what prompted you to go into the wellness space from your consulting work? Because I'm assuming you were pretty busy doing consulting work. And then you you also have this uh, athletic side and you're doing the triathlons. It all seems to go together in my mind, but what are you getting from that world as well? Because I have a feeling a lot of those same, uh, you know, characteristics that make you a triathlete, you can transfer into just day-to-day steps of getting better or doing things that you wouldn't do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, um, it's funny because they both came into my life around the same time, like in the same year. So I was, uh, it, it should be said, when I was 27 years old, I couldn't run a mile. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, something would have fallen off or out or I just, it was not. I, that was one of those things where I looked around. And I was like, I don't know how people do this. Like, <laughs> she, she must have something I don't have. And so it turns out that wasn't true, but it served me at the time. So I really discovered a sport for myself and just became quite passionate about being like the strongest, fittest version of me. And that's not the strongest, fittest version of a human you've ever seen. Like not not even remotely. You could put me up next to a great many people and you wouldn't even know I was an athlete. Okay, I'm talking (laughs) about me. I'm talking about what, what meant something to me. And I wanted to be as cheesy as it sounds, the best version of myself that I could be. And it really led me down a journey where I went from like disordered eating to learning about Mm. nutrient dense foods instead of dieting, like eating as much, as many nutrients as I could and focusing on nutrient density. And, Mm -hmm. and that changed my life. So when I got passionate about all of those things, I, I thought, God, you know, we really make this so complicated and, there are millions and millions and millions of dollars in people 
seeking and failing and seeking and hating themselves. And it it didn't sit well with me. So the whole reason I started On Air with Ella was to share information. Remember, I'm not the expert. I wasn't positioning myself as the expert, or rather a right. facilitator. And I interviewed people who wrote books or who had a thing or who did a study and yada, yada, yada. And so my whole intention there was to bring health and wellness information, make it accessible and free and interesting and educational and kind of fun and funny. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's that's how it started. Um, and then again, like actually somewhere midstream, Kimberly, my health fell apart. So I started a third business. I opened a restaurant. Brilliant. Wow. Um, you really yeah, are the, a renaissance woman. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm we also need a timeline here. <laughs> we need a flow chart. <laughs> I'm also a complete fool because that about broke me. Um, seven Open seven days a week. And what kind of restaurant food, but, was it? It was health, healthy food and uh, cold pressed juices. And that sounds great. And the whole reason I did it was because I wanted it to exist. Like I wanted that place in the small town that I lived in at the time. So I was like, I partnered up with somebody who was interested in the food, because that's not me. I like to eat it, not make it. Right. And I was the COO, if you will. And she was the like head creative and all the recipes were hers. And she knew food really, really well. And I was business. Okay. And seven days a week, 6.30 in the morning till God knows what hour at night. I mean, some days I would finish consulting calls with clients and go back in the kitchen and wash dishes until two o'clock in the morning. I mean, oh it was- Oh my gosh. It was a disaster. And I ended up selling that business successfully, but it it about killed me, Kimberly. And my health starts to fall apart. Meanwhile, I am balancing my consulting business and I'm on the air trying to talk about health and wellness and I'm a disaster. Like I'm physically- the worst I've been in my adult life, like I'm gaining weird weight, like weight, weight that didn't make sense. My back would just randomly lock up and just stop functioning for three days. A t- I mean, just a disaster. And I had an identity crisis. I was like, health is supposed to be so simple and easy. And I don't know who I am right now. And right. it was, the best thing I ever did was start talking about it and sharing it and and exposing, you know, this horrible thing that I was going through and ditching this concept that I should be some sort of like aspirational figure in any way, which is hilarious to even consider. But still, like to share what you're going through when it ain't pretty with tens of thousands of people and for it to exist in perpetuity is not the easiest thing to do in the world. No, and you know what no. it did? It about trebled my audience. Um, it built a huge community and it sort of solidified the next four years because I went through this whole journey on the air, this whole journey. And then it kind of refused to talk about fat loss and things like that anymore. And just, again, started really focusing on a much more robust definition of wellness. So that was yeah. that was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm because th- I am really fascinated by this idea that you started this restaurant because it's something you really wanted to do or you wanted to have yeah. access to. So you just made your own one up and um, but you would be washing these dishes. And, you know, I guess as an entrepreneur, it's what you had to do. But would you do that again? Would you have done no. that if you in retrospect? No, no, I did so many things wrong and. You know, if I were if I were on a stage somewhere or trying to impress somebody, which is not my gift, um, I would I would be tempted to make it sound glossy and say, you know what? I learned so much. I wouldn't trade those lessons for anything. Baloney. 
Yes, I would have spared myself three years of physical and mental almost break, not breakdown with a capital B, but definitely a breakdown with a small B and just the stress of it. And I think it aged me 10 years and the financial weight of it and blah, blah, blah. So, so yeah. However, I hate to concede to this, but I learned so damn much. Yeah. As a business owner, you learn a lot, you know, I mean. But also there were so many questions I should have asked. I I shouldn't have jumped in with both feet and just assumed it would be fine. There were so, so many questions I should have asked that I didn't. And so, yeah, it made me smarter. It made me tougher in a way. It made me like, I take risks, but I don't, my financial risks are pretty damn conservative. And that was the biggest one I'd ever taken. So yeah, it it way helped me up level because I was, how old was I? Uh, let's say I was 40. And so I'd been in the workforce for some time now, you know, and there's that point where you're like, you okay, were doing your I consulting business. Oh God. So you, yeah. 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 For years, for years and years and years. Yeah. So this was like a side hustle that you did, were doing yeah, so in addition to, to your... <laughs> Your pocket. Well, that often happens. I mean, I once started <laughs> yes. a fashion company. <laughs> oh, yeah. That I, I was the accidental fashion designer who had a fashion company that then was doing collections for Saks Fifth Avenue. And I loved clothes, but in the end, I realized I didn't want to manufacture and design clothes. That. <laughs> and I learned a very valuable lesson because when I started it, I don't know, it was kind of something I was doing around my kitchen table and it evolved into this business because people liked what I was doing. But then I had this notion like, I think I'll open a store in London, which is what I did. As one does. As one does. And I opened it. It was on the Fulham Road and my name was up there, Kim Davis, London. And now I immediately realized that was the dumbest thing in the world. And I turned it into a wholesale business because I could realize what my demand was. But anyway, now when I hear bricks and mortar, like if I if it involves me renting anything, any kind of building, I'm out. Yeah, I'm not I get getting chills. involved in that. <laughs> I'm done. So I did learn that. But you know, I did it and I do take away from that a lot of lessons as a as a business owner that I wouldn't have had otherwise, which allows yeah. me to counsel a lot of other people who are about to do a similar kind of thing. But Again, I don't regret doing it. And I admire that I had the gumption to kind of do some of the things that I did do because in the end, we were successful in our own right. I hear that. But it was A, I didn't really like talking about clothes all the time. And B, I mean, sometimes you take a hobby and you think it's going to be what you want to do for a living. And really, you should just let it be a hobby because it's a fun hobby. And that's what I should have done. I hear that. It, but look, the failure, I mean, that wasn't really a failure for you at all. Mine, mine was a failure well, of it was common a, It could sense. have been, you know, I closed it down. So it was kind of a, a failure because I but couldn't sell it because I was it, you know. But, and that's kind of my point because some of the reasons we don't do things are, well, what if it fails? Well, yeah, it really might. And you know what you didn't he- see on my bio when I sent it to you was the two businesses I've started that have failed because they don't make it into the bio. And so I think it's extremely useful. <laughs> what, you know, we're like, we're out here glorifying failure now. That's also a cool thing to do. And I'm like, no, failure sucks. It definitely sucks. But if you could just mm-hmm. understand the consequences are not fatal and proceed accordingly, you would do so many more things. So in that sense, that failure, again, I sold it successfully. I made money on it, but it still felt like a failure by lots of other criteria, by other measuring sticks for me personally. And all I would say is, yeah, I learned a ton, but would I do that again? Nope. 
I wouldn't. I would just read the book about it. However, it gave me something more important than that. It gave me a failure that I got through that I can be like, oh, wait, I survived and now I'm doing other things. Like, why don't I treat everything like this? Like, yeah, it might fail, but you never go back to zero because you can't unlearn what you learned. So we get so intimidated by the thought that we might flail or fail and or even just fall short of some expectation. And I just like do it anyway. (laughs) I'm with you 100%. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's being a chancer, so to speak. I mean, Maybe a little bit. No, we weren't betting the farm. Yeah. No, we're not in Vegas, you know, putting the number on roulette. We know that we're going to put, well, because I think one of the things that I really love about what your message is, is that, first of all, I love anyone who says you've got to show up because you do. And I love people that also talk about wellness and self-care, because if you don't care about yourself, then you can't care for anybody else. And I also like this message, and I want to talk to you about the triathlete, you know, things that you get from that. But one of the things I really am becoming more and more passionate about when I speak to women or anyone, but women in particular, is that we have to look at our lives on a micro and macro level. And on a macro level, okay, I want you to advocate for yourself in your professional world. I want you to negotiate. I want you to be intentional in your career choices. I don't want you to let people just, you know, steamroll you and not listen to your point of view or throw out all these kind of microaggressions that are out there now. You need to just, you know, advocate for yourself. But on a micro level, you need to do that in your personal life too. You need to put yourself forward in your personal life, whether it's negotiating with your partner about who's going to split the household chores, who's going to take care of the kids. You know, usually women or one partner usually is doing 75% of all the caregiving. You need to not let that happen. That's part of your self-care. And that might mean that you can then enjoy more wellness by working out, or knitting, or I don't know, going into one of those cold baths, whatever your thing is, whatever your jam is, you can have more time to do that. And I think all the stuff that we talk about that people need to do in the world for business, they should, you should be doing that in your personal life too. Yeah. I mean, do you go on a long road trip and, and, and get in the car and be like, God, I I guess I should have put air in the tires, but it felt self-indulgent or, you know, it would have been cool as some gas, but that really felt like me time. And yet we do that with this thing that carries us around every day. I mean, I just don't think self-care is self-indulgent in the slightest. My uh, exercise time or movement time, I look at those two things differently, gets calendared every day because I (laughs) owe that to myself or I believe in investing in myself or some might think I'm self-indulgent. And for me, it's like, if I don't take care of this... (laughs) Right. I mean, if you don't have if you don't feel happy, fulfilled, strong, then you're li- you're not going to be very healthy mentally or physically. So let me ask you a question just from a logistic point of view, because I'm very interested about this. When you count. So first of all, I want you to say again that self-care isn't self-indulgence. We're going to just say that about a thousand times. Mm-hmm. So she will Somebody repeat get that. a tattoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so when you calendar. OK, tell me a little bit because. Just personally, I'm very interested in this. You're a triathlete. That means you've got to train a lot, right? Um, or a lot. I don't even know. Is a lot the right word? Maybe not a lot. Maybe you just have to train. So I'm going to, I've already, see, I've already done something bad here by saying a lot because, you know, there's only so many hours a day and I feel guilty if I'm doing this instead of not like sitting down at my desk at 7 a.m. to answer emails. 
Like the world will still rotate if I start answering emails at nine. So tell me how you calendar, how much time, why you are passionate about being a triathlete and what it's like taught you about competing in business and also in living your best life. Okay, well, we'll start with the basics, and that is that I I move my body every day non-negotiable, right? And the reason I say that is because I found it exhausting negotiating with myself. Oh, I should do this. Oh, I'll do that later. Oh, I'm already dressed for work. Oh, I have to keep my hair looking nice. Like the mental gymnastics were far more exhausting than just doing the thing. And when you just say, oh, I have to move my body every day because I'm a human being in a body, and it's not about trying to fit into a pair of jeans, and it's not about what you ate the day before. It's I move my body every day because I'm a human, the same way I breathe every day and I drink water. That's what I was designed for. And some days that's a walk. Yesterday, that was a walk. <laughs> okay? right. No, not, not an Olympic walk, not a mall walk, just a walk. And that's all it was. But you know what? I move my body every day because it's at this point a part of my identity, but more importantly, a part of my schedule. And so, uh, so you said something I really want to pick up on because when I was younger, I thought that you had to work out for an hour and a half. Like I thought workouts right. were an hour and a half. Like, could you work out for less than 90 minutes? I didn't know. Absolutely not. I overtrained, you know, I've been doing this sport for a long time and I used to overtrain all the time and I was injured all the damn time. I was lean, I was fit and I was injured like all the time. And I had no idea what I was doing. And now I don't exercise more than an hour a day, hardly ever. Like I love when I can go on a long bike ride, but it, it, it is not the norm. I obviously get to do that more when the weather's conducive and I don't live where you live. So that right. is not every day <laughs> you of the year. You can do that here all the time, but okay. <laughs> right. And if I did, I would build that into my morning because I would love to go for an hour and 45 minute bike ride every day of my life. That would be amazing. That's not the life I lead right now. So I don't exercise more than an hour. It's usually 45 minutes. And I think that's really important because there's fun. We won't go into this now, but, and, and again, I'm not a health expert, but just being able to exercise at a nice pace for 45 minutes and doing that five days a week and moving or three days a week, but moving your body every day, you're already top 5%. I just right. made that number up, but it's right. not good. But, but, I think, <laughs> but I think you're right. Okay. We're not experts, but we're saying that sounds about right. Okay. I'm we going just with make it. up metrics, <laughs> but you understand what I mean philosophically. Right. And then the other, you know, I do shorter, more intensity when I can. Right now I'm injured and it super sucks because it challenges like you'd have to pull out every personal development tool I have in my actual toolbox to get through this injury time. But the, the one other thing I wanted to say just on a very practical level is I used to think that walking and please feel free to judge me, like judge away. But I used to think that walking was for the elderly or the infirm. Like that's who, why would you walk? (laughs) Right. No, I think a lot of people think that I think. Well, the shutdowns completely, completely gave me a new experience with walking as dumb as that sounds. And I started walking every morning with my dog and I would walk four miles every single morning back when we were completely shut down. And that was not my exercise for the day. That was my walk. It was my movement. And And when you say you're going to, I don't say I exercise every day. I say I'm going to move every day. So some days that was it. But when you plan to try to exercise every day, then you end up somewhere around the five day mark. That's, you know, because life happens. Um, Right. But when you plan on something seven days a week, you're usually going to be able to do it four to five days a week. 
And But this walk became a thing, and I wasn't walking for exercise. I wasn't walking because it was good for me. I wasn't walking because it has such a hugely impactful uh, impact on your hormones, even though it does. I wasn't walking because it helps you with your digestion and with your parasympathetic state. I wasn't walking for any of those reasons. I was walking because it was nice to do, and I liked hanging out with my dog for an hour. Right. You're outside, and and it was nice. Your dog is great. Yes. So if you if that is your minimum effective dose, if, if one person listening takes a walk today or tomorrow because and, and they weren't doing that because it didn't feel like enough, I hope we can inspire somebody to change their mind about that. But anyway, I know I went down a rabbit hole, but I feel kind of passionate about that because we always think like, oh, I got to join CrossFit yeah, or I need yeah, to like yeah. go, sign a membership somewhere. And I'm like, or <laughs> you could just go You outside. take a walk. Yeah. No, walking <laughs> so anyway. is, is it proven. I mean, I've, I researched a lot about it and I do a combination of run walking now because that's, oh, that's I read the whole book. I can't remember the guy's name, but you know, uh, there is a person who's an expert on this that I've read the book on. And that's what gets me through the longer yeah. kind of a commitment runs that I want to take. But um, so we're going to wrap up soon, but just I want to understand just what have you learned from your, you know, just the fact that as a triathlete, you do have to accomplish certain things to be able to just finish the race, I guess. What have you learned from that that helps you compete in business or just live your life better? Yeah, um, great last question. This is fun because I have... I. <laughs> I have a talk called what triathlon taught me about competing in business or how to be better at anything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are so many lessons and I promise you, I will not give you that Ted talk right now. However, (laughs) if anyone wants to hear it, find me. But in truth, the one thing I'll share in the interest of time about that is actually, I can't help myself. I have to share two things. One is for those of you who don't know, a triathlon is a swim bike run event. And there are other, you know, there are twists and turns. There are lots of different distances that you can do. Right. And Kimberly, you can do it as a relay. So you could show up and do the swim and someone else could do the bike and then someone else could do the run. Okay. So that's a thing. I think I like that idea. I'm going to check okay. into that one. <laughs> you get the same t-shirt that everybody else gets. Okay. So I've done that with teams before, you know, people who haven't exercised in 10 years and it's, and, and it's super motivating. Super uh, fun, I, okay, anyway. I'm going on record. Oh. I'm checking out the relay triathlon thing. The community, the spirit at these events is like the best of humanity for that two or seven hours, like whatever, whatever race it is, like just the spirit of people cheering one another on and supporting people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds. Like it's absolutely amazing and it's the best high ever and so so that has to be said but the other thing that I wanted to share with you is triathlon taught me something quite important about myself that I used to be you know I used to think was a weakness and and the irony is this I'm not the world's best swimmer I'm not the world's best cyclist and I sure as hell am not the world's best runner and the thing that's interesting about me is I happen to be competitive at being able to do all three of those things consecutively. And that turns out ah, to be its yeah. own skill. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. I, it, that's, that's very interesting. Yes. But if you zoom out from that, Kimberly, my career is that. My career and all these interests that we've talked about today, I am a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I used to think that was a weakness, but I wasn't interested in going to law school and running down that road or or becoming the financial person or even honestly, even getting placed in a corporate 
job with a very clear trajectory. In fact, I ran from that opportunity multiple times. And at some point, as we age and evolve and mature, I realized I was like, oh, this is who I am in every single arena. And the takeaway from that is, for me, it's to stop, I'll phrase it more positively, is to look at yourself rather than like, oh, they're better at that than I am. Oh, I'm not a, metaphorically, I'm not a runner, or I'm not the best swimmer, or I'm not the tallest, I'm not the richest, I'm not the most financially minded, whatever. If you can start looking at your individual unique stack of skills, they don't look like anybody else's. So maybe you speak a language, maybe you don't. Maybe you have a relative that had like a severe handicap and that taught you something about life and somebody else didn't learn. Maybe you moved a lot as you were when you were a kid. Maybe you are really good at crafts. Maybe you are like the best cook in the entire world. Maybe you do really creative things with your kids. I don't know. But I know that if you pull out any one of your skills and hold it up against someone else, someone's going to be better, faster, richer, taller, blah, 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 than you right, are. Right, right, right. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Every time. But you know what nobody else could do is they can't stack all of those skills and all of those experiences that make you, you. They cannot replicate, duplicate, or imitate that. That's a gift. And I actually, I have an exercise where I... Make people write down the things that they're good at and the things that they never want to do again and create two different stacks. And it's like such a great visual representation that that we work with in in a workshop environment. But what is your stack? Because it is unique to you and it can't be held up against somebody else. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, it's funny because I met and was listening to a fellow named Marcus Buckingham speak about his book, Love and Work. He's kind of an analyst of um, behavioral personalities and behavior, and he does a lot of consulting work with corporations. And in this book, he starts off by saying, you are unique. Nobody has the qualities and the characteristics that you have combined into one person. And so each of us has, in your language, a different stack. And I think that is such a special message because I think that we forget about our uniqueness so frequently because we're just bombarded with so much information and social media and things that are put out there as what we should be aspiring to be or what everybody thinks is really, you know, the cool or whatever. But if if we could get this message out <clears throat> to everyone that your stack is like really what it's all about and you should be focusing on that because that's where you're going to you're going to find that fulfillment, you know, when you just look at yourself as a unique entity in this world full of other unique entities. People take their natural gifts for granted and it's because they're natural and they're yours. And I mean, I do, you do, everyone takes their natural gifts for granted. And so I think sometimes it's useful to take a step back, zoom out and observe you from a more objective point of view. And frankly, that's what I do professionally. And with my podcast community is help people zoom out for the day, the moment, the week, and really look objectively in the business world at what they're trying to do and how they want to do it or personally in the in the podcast community, you know, what that, 
like the life we're trying to design for ourselves. But there's something so brilliant about being able to look at yourself objectively, and it's hard to do by yourself. So I consider myself an expert at nothing but a facilitator of those processes, if that makes sense. Yeah, and your podcasts are interesting because they do have a you have a plethora of topics that you, you know, address. And I listened to a couple of them uh, recently, and I was listening to one on longevity, and then I took the test, and, you know, because I was like, okay, oh, she's I brilliant. Live, I got to live longer, you know. Um, and, she's um, brilliant. That's Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. I yeah, was not happy brilliant. with what my whatever age was. I was younger than my chronological age, but I was like, okay, I got to do better than this. Um, oh, but I, I do think that it it's really important that, to focus on wellness, but... It's not just about, you know, having low blood pressure. It's about this kind of very intricate, intertwined tapestry of threads of all the different wellnesses that we need to have a really robust life. And I could literally talk to you for like five days. So I think we may have. (laughs) You know, we have to do it again. (laughs) That's okay. This was worth listening to. Come on. Um, Okay. Final words of wisdom slash advice. If you could tell someone to do one thing today to get unstuck, what would it be? It would be start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. And Arthur Ashe said that first, and many times wow. thereafter. I'm quoting Arthur Ashe. Yeah, he was awesome. May he rest in peace. Um, I think this was a really brilliant podcast, if I don't say so myself. Ella and On Air with Ella, it just you need to check it out because there's so much to learn from this lady. I am going to be doing a mini triathlon now in 2023. I'm already primed and ready for action. Girl, you just need two friends. (laughs) Yeah, I I know. I'm going to find, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get two people, unwilling or willing, and I'm going to, you know, lasso them into this because I have, it's been on my list. And if not now, when? Okay. Okay. We'll do Malibu in 2023. I'll be on your doorstep. Oh my gosh. That would be awesome. I can. And then, you know, I'll get some other benefits from that as well. And I just one little thing, you know, when I when I take my walk or I take my run, I have so much energy for the day. It's so much more than yeah. when I don't do it. So yeah. there's that weird thing. But, you know, all I'm going to say is show up, show up in your life, put yourself first, take care of yourself, listen to On Air with Ella. You're going to you're going to get all kinds of great suggestions and experts and things that you can follow cuz I not only, you know, took longevity tests, I, I'm now drinking green juice. I'm doing all kinds of things now just from listening to this lady, okay? So I'm, I'm a fan. using my discount code. <laughs> I, I did use your discount code. So um, quickly, just tell us where everyone can find you so that they can find you. So easy. Um, hook up with me on Instagram at On Air with Ella. Um, the podcast is On Air with Ella. And then the only thing weird is my website is On Air Ella. I had to drop the preposition. It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> and there's only one Ella Lucas Averett on LinkedIn. So find me wherever. So you know the main terms are On Air Ella. So you got remember that. Those three words. We got this. <laughs> Ella, thank you so much for spending so it's much time pleasure. with me today. Listen to to Ella's podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please rate it if you've liked it. Rate it if you don't like it. Just rate it, okay? Also, check out my book, The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women. You can find it on Amazon or on a lot of other websites, Target, Barnes & Noble, and bookstores. 
And thank you for joining us today. Um, we are going to sign off now. I'm going to go put my tennis shoes on or trainers, as Ella said, and I'm going to start doing some human movement. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.